0: So uh, we're going to read one. And um, I'm going to read it for you. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. So, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, Well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly, do this and you'll live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Well, and and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among the robbers who stripped him and, and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Have you ever heard anybody ask you the question, have you ever? uh, Or asked it yourself or, or heard the question, how or why would God use me? I'm not good enough. Have you ever asked that question yourself? Have you you ever talked to someone who had that question? I'm not good enough. I I have these flaws. I keep doing things wrong. Oh, there's there's a character flaw or there's things that are wrong with me. Let me read you another parable. A water bearer had two large pots. You might have heard this one before. One hung on each end of the pole, which he carried across his neck. One of the pots had a crack in it. And while the other pot was perfect and always delivered, a full portion of water... At the end of the long walk from the stream to the master's house, the cracked pot always arrived only half full. For two years this went on daily, with the bearer delivering only one and a half pots full of water to his master's house. Of course, the perfect pot was proud of its accomplishments, fulfilled in the design for which it was made, but the poor cracked pot was ashamed of his own imperfections, and miserable that he was unable to accomplish what he'd been made to do. After two years of enduring this bitter shame, the pot spoke to the water bearer one day by the stream. I'm ashamed of myself, and I just want to apologize to you. Why? asked the bearer. What are you ashamed of? I've been able for these past two years to deliver only half my load because of this crack in my side that causes the water to leak out all the way back to your master's house. And because of my flaws, you've had to do all this work and you don't get full value from your efforts, the pot said. The water bearer felt sorry for the old cracked pot and in his compassion he said, As we return to the master's house, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. And indeed, as they went up the hill, the old cracked pot took notice of the sun warming the beautiful wild flowers on the side of the path. And he was cheered somewhat. But at the end of the trail, it still felt like the old shame came back because it had leaked out half its load. And so again, the pot apologized to the bearer for its failure. The bearer said to the pot, but did you notice that there were flowers only on your side of the path and not on the other pot's side? Well, that's because I've always known about your flaw, so I took advantage of it. I planted flower seeds on your side of the path, and for every day while we've walked back from the stream, you've been watering them. For two years, I've been able to pick these beautiful flowers to decorate my master's table. Without you being just the way you are, he wouldn't have that beauty to grace his house. You see, each of us has flaws and we're all cracked pots. But if we'll allow him, the Lord will use our flaws to grace his father's table. In God's great economy, nothing goes to waste. Don't be afraid of your flaws, acknowledge them. And you too can bring something beautiful to the father. Those, the scripture, and that they're both parables, stories, relevant, engaging stories that get people thinking. You know, using everyday, relatable examples that, with some imagination, make sense to the listener. Stories that create a visual in the listener's minds, exposing a truth that might. Otherwise, not be easily seen or, or easily understood. And I read this quote and I couldn't find who it was, so I, I can't attribute it to anybody, and I, but I'll tell you, I didn't make it up. One of the things that makes us human in our, is our imagination, the ability to visualize a narrative which we can't see, whether past, present or future, fact or fiction. We're hardwired to create and understand a story, even from an early age. See, Jesus used parables. Um, Madeleine Engel said this, Jesus was not a theologian, he was God who told stories. Simple, but I like it. Jesus used parables like in our scripture to answer questions in, in a way that displayed the values of the kingdom of heaven as opposed to the values of the day. You know, this guy wants to test Jesus and and wants to talk about internal life. He wants to know, who's my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love? And Jesus' storytelling had a way of exposing the dichotomy or the the difference of thinking that many of his day had. And the stories worked better than just saying it. Sometimes it was sharp and, and sometimes it was convicting. In this case, it was love your neighbor. And love your neighbor was understood in those days by, by these guys. My neighbor was the one who, who I commune with, who, who's part of my tribe, who's part of my clan, who, who lives in, in, in my area of town, who, who hangs out with me, who has the same status as me, who keeps the 600 and something laws the way that I do. Whereas Jesus' new kingdom, in Jesus' new kingdom, love would go far beyond what they knew or what they expected love was about, who their neighbour was. And so Jesus used a story to create that picture. Jesus' contextual examples would make sense, if not the actual meaning. And they would cut deep once they were understood, and they would make people think. You know, Matthew said, uh, in Matthew chapter 13, if you read 34 and 35, it says, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in the parables. He didn't say anything to them without using a parable. So it was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things s- hidden since the creation of the world. And as we read the four Gospels, uh, not so much the last one, but as we read the four Gospels, we see that Jesus didn't use Scripture as a starting point in his conversations. Except in the synagogue, except when he was teaching in the synagogue. He never used Scripture as a starting point. He always used stories and everyday things. And notice how universal that is even in our world. It's a good principle. Most TV adverts tell a story. You know, they build their product around a story and make you feel like you can identify a narrative, something that will you remember. Even cartoons and humor create a snapshot and a story. We can use parables, just as Jesus did, to illustrate truth, pointing to meanings in books and films, everyday life, our own life stories. Sermon illustrations, you know, sermons work better when there's illustrations, don't they? They do, don't they? Spurgeon said, a sermon without an illustration is like a room without windows. There you go, illustrations are important. Now we've been talking for some time about this master plan um, and I don't have that, the master plan slide today, sorry about that. But we've been talking about this master plan of discipleship and in order to understand the master plan we wanted to look at the master of discipleship, we wanted to look at Jesus, we wanted to have a look at what he did, how he did it, what he spoke, um, who he spoke to and you know Just what Jesus did, we wanted to check it out and we've looked at so many things and I thought of listing them, but I'm not going to. We're looking at the master plan of discipleship, you know, being disciples and making disciples, moving people in following Christ. That's what we're about as a church. We want to move people from here to there in following Christ. We want to grow disciples. We want to care for people. We want to reach our world, reaching the lost. And in order to do that, we've been looking at how Jesus did that, how Jesus did it himself, how he taught the disciples to do it, how he set them up to be able to do it as as they would be the church. And Jesus used parables. He was a storyteller. And I think we can be too, when I think about that. When I think about sharing the gospel, when I think about talking to people about uh, principles and life and values of the kingdom, We can tell stories. We can tell our own stories. We can use modern day issues and and happenings or maybe things that we've experienced in our life or books we've read or um, movies. John? Where's John? If you want to know anything about any movie, just talk to John. But often we talk about movies in the office and and there's often themes and and stories in movies that that try to create a picture and we read. If you read about movie reviews, you'll read that directors or, or writers of movies have an agenda and are trying to communicate something so we know how to do that as human beings and we can do that we can tell stories or you could use jesus parables to explain the kingdom to explain what we believe or to those that we're reaching out to you could just use one of jesus parables you can read one or contemporize it you know i can remember well, if we can all remember Sunday school, or you've seen Sunday schools, how they always use a parable and they'll do a play. They use a parable because a parable speaks to kids. A parable leaves behind a value or a sense of, of what it is I'm supposed to learn, what it is that God wants me to understand. And why is storytelling, or why can storytelling be so important in discipling or sharing the gospel? Well, over two-thirds of the world's population learn and receive information when imagination is engaged. Let me say that again. Over two-thirds of the world's population, so two-thirds of you sitting in here, unless we're a aberration. Two-thirds of the world' population learn and receive information when imagination is engaged. Seventy-five percent of the Bible consists of stories. Now add poetry and proverbs, that leaves probably less than 10 percent of abstract intellectual content. Formal and tradition forms of communica- traditional forms of communication only reach 10 percent, only reach the 10 percent intellectually inclined thinkers. Storytelling reaches the le- rest of thinkers in the world. People more easily understand and accept a concept that fits into their context or their current world experience, because the application makes more sense and truth is more readily accepted when it's delivered in an identifiable jacket and hence change is more readily embraced if they can identify the truth so as we disciple as we look at jesus as we look at you know what are we doing um, in making disciples what are we doing in moving people in following christ we've talked about meeting with your neighbors meeting with your work colleagues having lunch with your neighbors inviting them for coffee or and all sorts of things and most of the time we think you know it would be really cool to do that if it would work. But the other half of us is thinking, but I don't know what I would say. You know, I don't know how to how to get it to Jesus. I don't know how to go beyond the weather, the fishing, and 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 stuff like that, and the kids. I don't, I, I don't know how to do that. And I think storytelling, parables, is a fantastic tool. We need to learn to use parables or, or tell stories as we share truth. And they don't have to be, you know... One story, so by the end of dinner we've got them, we're we going to baptise them. It can just be a truth. It can be a story that you've experienced in your life or a story that, that helps them understand a value or a or, or reason you do something or a reason you believe something or the way that you live or answers a question that they might have about faith. And most people in the world have questions about faith. Stories that make sense in the listener's context and you know using world issues or or current discussions and opinions maybe even again using jesus parables and and their timeless truths modernizing one of jesus parables if you like with with some current examples or using life or personal experiences positive ones and, and negative ones not so positive ones impacting times in your life where you've learned something from God where you can tell that story and and how a a concept came to you in the middle of that story. You know, we all have stories. We all do. Think about it. It takes the awareness of God's work and His messages in your life, in your normal life. And that's that sensitivity, isn't it? That's that kind of sense of, of trying to look at your normal life as not divorced from your spiritual life so that you can see that the way God's speaking to you through normal things that you can be sensitive to seeing what God's saying to you you know being aware of how to apply God's truth to to current world issues what would Jesus do Corneas all get out don't wear the armband but what would Jesus do you know with some of the current things and it's not you know it's easy to to read the word and understand what Jesus heart was Understanding the Word, you've got, you've got to get into the Word. You've got to understand who Jesus is. We've talked about that. The Word, the values in the Word are timeless. They're not relegated to then. They're not just applicable to then. They're timeless. The application of the Word is timeless. Using your own God stories and God experiences. Things that have happened in your life that actually made something sink into your heart, become a part of you, made you understand something about God that you could share. Asking God to remind you of times in your life and being sensitive to things that have happened in your life and the way that you've seen God move. And I want to tell a story here. Want to hear a story, one of my stories? And uh, I don't know if I've told this one before, but I told it in the DTS some years ago, quite a few years ago, I was sitting with someone, a young person, and um, this person was feeling kind of like um, inadequate or feeling distant and, and disengaged from God and, and feeling separated from God, struggling with sin. We were talking about sin and, and how that works and and we talked about how that separates and This person said to me, if the Bible says that nothing separates us from God, you know, we read Romans, nothing can separate you from the love of God, then how can it always also say, like in Isaiah, that says that sin and disobedience separates us from God? How do we deal with that? And I actually didn't know how to answer, so I prayed about it, how I could help them understand it. And I prayed mostly, not that I could help them understand, I prayed, heck, I want to understand this now. You know, I, I, you know, how do I understand this? And God took me back to a time in my life. So I told a story when I got back to that person. I'll tell you the story. I was eight years old. And um, we lived um, in a small house. Uh, we, were, um, we, we were not a wealthy family, um, uh, but we did all right. There was four kids. I had an older brother. He was a good boy. And... Um, my dad had always had a dream to have a garage or shed or something like that. And um, the only way that he could do that, he couldn't call Stratco, A, because they didn't exist then, but B, because he didn't have the money. He went to all these demolition sites and collected wood and timber and steel and, and whatever you needed. To, and over a, the period of a year or whatever, um, there was all this stuff to make a garage. Now my dad and I didn't really get on very well. Um, uh, I, you know, I was that kid, for those of you that know what that kid's like. My brother was 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 good, either that or he was just really savvy and never got caught. You know, I was that kid, you know. I was the kid who was interested in everything and I loved my dad's tools and my dad got a brand new Stanley saw, you know, wood saw. It was really sharp and I decided that that looked sharp enough to not have to worry about cutting avoiding nails when i cut through a piece of my wood and you know and well i did have to worry because I, I ruined his new saw i was that kid who when we got this brand new television it had you know you had the channels with the dials well this one had push button channels <laughs> the, how many of you can remember that you push button channels get out it was just amazing but i was that kid that said if you pressed nine channel nine came but what would happen if you pressed three at once? Would you get three stations? No, you don't. We had a sloping block. My dad had a trailer and there's a brick holding the trailer and I was the kid who thought if you kicked the brick out, would the trailer roll? Yeah, it did, right through the chicken coop, you know. I was that kid. You know, I thought my middle name was Camille because my dad always said, Andrew, come here. You know, and I thought... So... <laughs> It's really not about me, (laughs) but I was fascinated by all this timber and all that sort of stuff. And my dad got to the point where it was time to. And keep in your mind that I was desperate for my dad to, I guess, love me. You know, and I I knew he liked me, but I, I, you know, and he treated my brother different. And I don't know why that was. And you know, we could go back into history and get ministry and all that sort of stuff. But time came to build this this shed and um <clears throat> my dad actually asked me on friday night would i like to help him the next day and ah oh, i was thrilled i was going to help my dad build this you know i was going to tools wood stuff but i think the, the most incredible feeling that i had was my dad had asked me i really felt like this was dad and me we were going to build this shed i was so excited couldn't sleep it was worse than the night before your birthday uh, worse than a night before Christmas, and I was up at the crack of dawn, and I was ready to go, and they were still in bed, and, but they got out of bed, and we, we were getting started, and I got to wear a pair of my dad's old overalls, and they're way too big, and so we rolled them up in the middle and put a rope around them, and all that sort of stuff. It's all part of the experience, but my heart was just swelling because I really felt like dad and I were like this, you know, and I'd wanted for years as a little kid just to, for dad to, to see me. You know, and, and, and we were gonna, and he didn't ask my brother, and I still don't know why. We went out into the backyard, and I can remember thinking that I was hoping the neighbors would look over the fence and see me, because I was so proud that I was going to be building this garage, this shed, and um, feeling so amazingly. You know, I'd stand next to my dad, and I'd give him my advice, and we were going to do this, and we were going to, and dad, you know, we would. It felt fantastic. We um, had to go. Um, we were sorting out all the timber and everything we had to go into town um to to get some nails. Uh, another thing I loved nails as a kid. How many of you love nails, banging in nails and you know I used to get all the bent ones and put them straight and then bang them into stuff and oh it felt so good. You know and so I'm these people here have no idea these boys have no idea what a real man does, you know. <laughs> Anyway, so we went to the hardware store, and I can still remember walking in the hardware store. I think I walked into the store like I owned it. I just walked in there, and everyone could see that my dad was helping me build a garage today, you know, and I was just, it was on, and I went straight to the back where they had, in those days, you didn't buy nails in little plastic bags in Bunnings. You had this big tub with a scoop. Who remembers that? I used to buy them by the kilo or the pound, and I was telling my dad we need them, we need them, we need them. I think he just bought one anyway. We bought the nails. I got to sit in the front of the car too, which we were never allowed to do. And this whole experience was just out of the ordinary. And I felt so connected with Dad. The front of the car, and for those of you, it was a Cortina 440p. It was just a ripper. And I sat right in the front of the car. And we went and we came back and we got back home and I was ready to go. But of course, big people have to have coffee breaks. And, you know, for a kid of eight, who needs a coffee break? You know, so they're having a coffee break. We have a coffee break. We sit there. I sit there fairly impatiently. But they're talking because you don't just drink coffee. You have to talk and, you know. And so I thought, well, I'll just go out and, you know, just ready myself or, or prepare a little bit. So I went out, and here I am in the backyard, and here's the timber, and here's the, you know, nails and saws and hammers and all that sort of stuff. And we had this chopping block and, and a woodshed here and I'm looking at this new bag of nails and a hammer and I thought wouldn't it be nice to take one of them new nails and bang it into wood. I know you don't get it guys but either. and wouldn't it be even nicer to take it and bang it into the top of the chopping block top of the chopping block is really nice soft wood from being hit so much you know and so I grabbed a nail out of the bag of nails because there's, there's plenty of nails. He would never know. I grabbed a bag, a, a nail, and I took it to the chopping block and I hit it in. Oh, it felt so good. But it, was, it didn't bend. Guys, and I always bent nails as a kid. It didn't bend. It went straight into the wood. I thought, this is amazing. But it was over so fast. There was lots of nails. He would never notice. So I took another nail well, before I, before I knew it, this eight-year-old had lost his, his sense of, of his mind and I had hit so many nails into this chopping block that it almost looked shiny on top, you know. <laughs> Just as I'm looking at that, that back door opens and I hear it with horror. And I look at the chopping block and I'm horrified because I'd lost control of myself. And I, my dad walks out and I know he's going to walk right past the chopping block. I know he's going to see it. And so I ran behind the woodshed and I hid and I cried and I sobbed and I sobbed and I sobbed because he was going to walk right past it. There was no way he could miss it and I knew that he would see it and I knew that he knew that I knew that he would see it as well and I sat behind the uh, the woodshed and I just cried and I cried and and my dad walked out and he just went back to doing what he was doing and I sobbed even harder. I wasn't crying because I was fearful of what my dad was going to do I'd had lots of that when I ruined the television he saw, the trailer, the chicken coop, all that sort of stuff. I'd been there. What was really hurting me was the fact that I'd broken something. That kind of special connection I had with my dad, even if it was just for a bit, that he actually wanted to be with me, that he, that he actually liked me. I'd ruined it. I'd broken it. That was why I was sobbing. I was sobbing because my disobedience and my sin... It separated that relationship <coughs> between my father and I. I sat behind that woodshed and cried for about an hour, which felt like 10 for an eight-year-old, I'm sure. And lunchtime came and um, kids get hungry, so I did creep in once my mum called for lunch and dad was already in and I sat there and they, nobody said anything. No one said anything at all. And at the end of lunchtime, dad was about to get out for work and he said, Andrew... He didn't say, come here. He said, Andrew, you know, you, yeah, what you did out there was wrong. And I broke down. Oh, so, yeah. And then he just said to me, well, okay, maybe don't do that again. Let's go back out and build the shed. Um, when I was sharing this, talking to this young person about how sin separates us, I'm convinced my father always loved me. He never really... Said it, I'm convinced he loved me. I know that our Heavenly Father always loves us. And Romans is true. Nothing will separate us from the love of the Father. But there are things that can separate us from our relationship with God. There are things that break that connection and that community. And, that, that, and, and I, I felt it. I'd forgotten that story. I felt it. And when I told the story... Made sense. Now I felt and understood much better how sin and disobedience separates us from God. Disturbs that relationship, breaks that relationship. Uh, my life went on. Dad and I never really got on well, and when he died, I, I was outside the country and I I didn't really get back in time to um, talk to him, but I know that God taught me a lesson there, and I know that there's a story in my life that I can share, and I know that we all have stories that we can share. But if you ask God, there will be a timeless truth. There will be an answer for something that you can share. So why would we find ways to share? Firstly, because it reminds us again of how God works and has worked in our life. And we need that. I need that. You need that. And we want the world, our world, to know and understand the most important story, not my story, not the cracked pot the most important story, that Jesus, the storyteller, became the story. Let me say that again. Jesus, the storyteller, became the story. So I'd take that quote before where she said that... Um, Jesus wasn't a theologian. He was a God who told stories. Jesus was a God who became the story. And this is the real story. This is what Jesus wanted the world to know right from the get-go. That's what I want us to know again today. I don't want to just tell you, you know, go out and tell stories. I want you to know that Jesus became the story for you. god's amazing love for us as his children which led to an amazing sacrifice and that love is way greater than the love of a samaritan for his neighbor even though at times we make a samaritan look like a saint that love is a love that sees the cracks and imperfections but but uses us anyway even when we think we're not good enough that love doesn't see the boy that breaks TV screen knobs or ruins a good saw and wrecks a chicken coop with a trailer or wastes nails. But that love sees a son that he loves. So much so that he'd give his own life. If a story or a parable is a bridge for truth, then when Jesus became the story, he became the bridge. Didn't he? The bridge for you and I to the Father, to salvation, to life. That's the story. Tell all sorts of stories around it, but get the story yourself. Understand today, if you don't know that, know it today, that God loves you so much, nothing can separate you from the love of the Father. Your sin, your actions can separate you from communion and relationship. But nothing will ever stop him making the sacrifice for you. And that isn't a parable, that's the real story of Jesus' passionate love for you and I. And if there's anything that we can do to point people to that truth, then let's do it. If there's a story you can tell, if there's something you can do, if there's a parable you can use to point people to that God, when you understand what that God did for you, you'll have a story to tell. I can do it, and you can do it, and it matters. It matters that we tell stories. It matters that we tell people who Jesus is. It matters that eventually we all understand that for me and for you, Jesus became the story so that we could live forever. Let me pray. God, thank you for your uninterrupted work in our lives. Thank you for doing more than giving us stories, but thank you for being the story, being the one who set us free from the chains that held us, from the things that stopped us from um, being able to, to be in community with you, to be in relationship with you. And thank you that you haven't just done that so that we can get all warm fuzzies and sit in our churches and wait for the, the train to heaven. But that you gave us this, these things so that we could give it to the world, that we could bring the, the story, the parable of life to a broken world. To those that don't know you, that those that are in pain, that those that are struggling, those that don't even know they're struggling, those that are oppressed. God, I pray that you'd help us to be willing to share our stories with other people so that your story can come through. Lord, I pray as we, as a church, as we move people in following Christ, as we stop talking about it and actually get out and do it, that you equip us with tools and things that help us to understand how to do that how to use the stories that you've created in our life, the stories that you told, how to use you as an example to point to the way forward. Lord, well, when we look at our world, we, we can shrug our shoulders and, and wonder what's happening. When we look at uh, all the challenges that we face in the Middle East, in, in the United States, in, in our country, well, let us not be overwhelmed, but let us understand and be convinced Jesus, you came with a love that would transcend all of that. And that's the story that we have. Lord, for those of us that struggle with individually not knowing whether, whether you love us, not knowing whether we, um, we understand who you are, not feeling worthy or, or not understanding your story in our lives, Holy Spirit, I pray for a revelation. I pray for opportunities to connect. I pray that we'd be hungry to learn. Well, thank you for making us a community full of stories, full of things to share. But most of all, thank you for making us a community of salvation, a place where you live. And I pray, Lord, that as we go from here, that we will live in that. In Jesus' name, amen.